listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Clint. If we hadn't had a chance to meet one of the pastors on staff, thankful uh, to be here with you. If you have a Bible, will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter two? Ephesians two. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some around you, you can open it on your phone. Love for you to get your eyes this morning on the Word of God. We believe that as we open the Bible, this is the primary way that God speaks to us, His people, in and through the pages of Scripture. We're gonna hear from God this morning. As you're turning to Ephesians 2, let me set up where we're gonna go. As you probably noticed, and we've already mentioned it, this corner of the room, it looks a little bit different than it normally does. No? Okay, yeah, there's just a hot tub here for no reason then. Pay no mind to that. No, the reason for that is because this morning we have the particular privilege of celebrating uh, the baptism of 17 of our brothers and sisters today. Yeah, praise God. Um, and, and you don't have to cancel your lunch plans or anything. Uh, 17 over two services, okay? Uh, I do think 10 of them are in this one, so I probably should go faster, but... Um, we have the privilege to celebrate with 17 people who are gonna get in the water today and they're gonna testify to the goodness and the grace of God in their lives. Uh, 17 people who are gonna publicly, conf- publicly confess that they believe in the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this word gospel, I know you know this, but it means good news. And, and my, my fear is that it can, it can become so familiar to us that the good news can become old news to us and we become unmoved by it. So what I want us to do today before we get to celebrate with these brothers and sisters is just sink our roots deep into the gospel, into the good news for us today. Um, the good news that we are loved by God, not because of what you and I have done, but because of who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. Amen. That's the best news in all the world, it really is. And so the Bible teaches that baptism is a public profession that you believe that this is true about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And what I want us to understand this morning is that what we're gonna do is not just for the people getting wet, all right? What we're gonna do is not just for the people who are getting wet, this is for all of us. It's like if you go to a wedding and you're not in the bridal party or anything like that, you have no special task or duty, you're just there, just a congregant, and you're at the wedding, and, and you, um, you understand that there's, there's a, a guy and a girl, and they're gonna make vows to one another. And you understand that those vows are not for you, right? If, if a bride says I do to her husband, that has nothing to do with me. She's not making any vow to me, and, and vice versa, right? But it does something in you, doesn't it? When you hear those vows, it does something in you, it kind of curates a response in your heart. And if you're married, what it might do is it might remind you of the vows that you made before God to your spouse. When you hear that, it does something in you and you remember, man, I stood before God and I made a a promise to my spouse. And I said, for richer or poor, I'm in. Despite uh, circumstances of our lives, no matter if we are rich or poor, sick or healthy, better or worse, baby, I'm in with you, right? That's, it kind of reminds us of the covenant of promise that we made, right? And even if you're not married, seeing this, it does something inside of you as well. The point is that even though you're not the one getting married, it does something in you. And baptism is the same way. The majority of folks getting baptized this morning, they're gonna get in the water, they're gonna wear a shirt, and across the front it says what? I'm in. 
So across the front of the shirt, it says, I'm in. And so what I wanna do for us as we sink our roots deep into the gospel is just to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say, I'm in? Two things primarily, it means other things, but two things for us this morning. It means I'm in Christ and I'm in the church. That's what we're gonna talk about. So firstly, what does it mean to be in Christ? Let's look at Ephesians 2. We're gonna start in verse 10. Bounce around a bit in the book, but I want us to zoom in on verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the Bible says that we have been created in Christ Jesus. And, and if I wouldn't have put emphasis on that or maybe even put it up on the screen beforehand, if you read this verse, you would just smooth over it. But this is one of the most foundational things that the Bible teaches, that we are in Christ in fact, this is the primary way the Bible would refer to someone who we would call a Christian. The word Christian shows up in the Bible two or three times, depending on your translation. The word in Christ, this idea, it's on almost every page in the New Testament, right? Um, I want you to see some of these. Ephesians 2, we're gonna start in verse one, 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. The same idea as being in him. We're with him. By grace, it says, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So the Bible's saying as you are in Jesus you have been raised up with him. You were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. And he says, why? So that in the coming ages, God will show you his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. This means that forever, for eternity, God will continue to lavish upon you. Go, look at how valuable this, look, this is. Look at immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So Paul says we're dead in our flesh and dead in our sin but we have been made alive together where? In Christ. <laughs> we're gonna get better at this. This is what he meant in verse 10 when he said that we are created in him, we are created in Christ Jesus. This word created in the original language, it means to transform, to be completely different than it was before. So this isn't talking about physical life or physical transformation, although that does happen as we get older, does it not? But what this is talking about is spiritual life. The book of Ephesians said that God is the one who does this work in us, that he is the one who brings us from death, from spiritual death to spiritual life, and it says why? Because, not of anything we did, but because of his great love for us, verse four. We are made new in Christ. Again, this is the most foundational thing that could be said about a believer in Jesus, that we are in him, in Christ, with Christ, through Christ, every page of the New Testament. Theologians call this the doctrine of union with Christ. And union with him means that through faith, we are connected to Jesus. We become connected to him. Let me show you two more of these. 2 Corinthians 5. It'll be on the screen. It says, therefore, if anyone is where? In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. It's like, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, he says, behold. Like, can you believe it? 
The old is gone, behold, the new is come. And he says, all this is from God who through, that's the same word, in Christ, he reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are made new in Jesus Christ. Our sins are no longer counted against us. And not only that, God gives us a new purpose in this world that he calls the ministry of reconciliation, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Look at this one, Romans 8, verse one. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And you know what this word no means in the original language? It means none. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me help you understand what this means. This means that to be in Christ, there is nothing that can condemn you. Nothing that can be used against you to bring guilt and shame about your past or even your present. You are, it says, a new creation in Christ set free from condemnation. There is that, therefore now no thing that can condemn you free from sin and death. And so here, let's get this out of Sunday morning, let's put it into Monday morning or Tuesday morning or wherever you might find yourself in your life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus means that when that thought wells up inside of you or that thing comes into your mind and your ear, whether, depending on how charismatic you are, it's either the enemy or it's just this feeling of guilt and shame and what happens is it comes up and says, you are a terrible mother. That thought pops in your head and go, where does that come from? or you are a terrible father, you're a terrible whatever, when that thought comes into your mind, you hear the whisper of your enemy, of the enemy, the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are set free from the law of sin and death and you are set free by the law of life, right? So when that comes in your mind, what that means is you, you don't have to defend yourself. Set free. You don't have to try to prove yourself or try to say, no, 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 that's not true. Let me show you. That's not who I am. I'm this, this, and this. That's who I, you don't have to do that. You don't have to defend or prove yourself because in Christ, the Bible says you're set free that when you hear that voice that comes up and says, you don't belong, you aren't good enough, you're a terrible mother, whatever it might be, you are set free to go, no, 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 I'm actually far worse than that. I was dead in my sins, caught in my transgressions. I was stuck, but God made me alive together in Christ because of the great love with which he loved me. We are set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life. It is not up to us to prove our worth to God or to the people around us because we're in Christ. We are in Christ. I mentioned this before. There's a quote, I love it. By a guy named Ray Ortland. he says this. What we see in the Bible is not formidable leaders proving their amazingness. And is that not just a commentary on, on, on everything we wanna be? I wanna prove my amazingness, my career, in my home, to my friends, to my family. And Ray says, man, we don't see that in the Bible. Not formidable leaders, look at how awesome I am and all the, the gifts I have proving their amazingness. What we see is ordinary followers staking their future on the amazingness of their God. And I said this last week, but I have not been able to get it out of my head because I need it. The claim of Christianity is not do your best and hope that someday it's enough. The claim of Christianity is that at your very worst, God shows up and he gives you his best in Jesus. And he came and he lived the life that you and I could never live and he died the death that we deserve so that he could make us what we had absolutely no shot of becoming on our own. 
And again, this wasn't because of how hard you tried in your life or how much better you got in your life and how you figured it out and I don't struggle with that anymore. It wasn't because of any of that. It was only because a resurrected Jesus reached down into your dead life and he gives you grace that you don't deserve and he meets you every moment, every minute of your life with mercy that you could never earn from him. And he shows up into those spaces of your life and he covers your past and he sustains your present and he holds your future. We are in Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. It means that who you are to God isn't determined by what you do, it's determined by what Jesus has done for you. This is what it means, right? It means that every single time that the creator God of the universe turns his attention to you, the God, the perfect, holy, righteous, everywhere, all at once, all-knowing God, when he turns his attention to you, it means that he doesn't see your sin or your failures or all the reasons why you don't belong and all the reasons why you don't measure up and you're a terrible whatever. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus because you're in him. And it means that we seek to obey him, not to earn his love and approval, but because we are convinced that he's already given it to us and we don't deserve it. And so we don't obey, to, we don't behave in order to belong. We are convinced that through grace we have been saved and so we belong to Jesus. We are in Christ and that should motivate our behavior. It should shape the way that we live our lives, right? So this is what Ephesians 2.10 means when it says in Christ we are his workmanship. Workmanship. You ever walked up to something that somebody built or made or whatever and said, man, incredible workmanship, Probably not, right? This is not a word that we use very much, but it's, a, it's from the Greek word that means poema. Greek word poema, which is where we get our English word poem. Verse 10 goes on to say that we have been created in Christ for good work. We are his poem. The point is that God is doing something in us. He's creating something in us and he's given us a new purpose in Christ to live in this world, not of trying desperately to present ourselves to people and to prove ourselves that all those things that, that everyone says about us, those aren't true. No, no, no. We go, yep, that's true about me and it's far worse than that, but God. Given us a new identity in Christ and a new purpose in the world, we are no longer dead, but rather, he says, we are the workmanship of God. We are his poem in and through our lives God is writing something out for the rest of the world to see, to be compelled by, right? That we are no longer dead. This is, this verse, Hebrews, or sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 10, is, is a hinge point in the book of Ephesians. And what I mean by that is the first chapter and a half of Ephesians, Paul just goes, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Can you believe it? And then the, the rest of the book is, this is how that should shape your life. If you're in Christ, this is what should be different. And so I want you to see this. Look at verse 11. He says, therefore, since all that is true, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So we don't have a ton of time for this, but basically circumcision is a term that's used to refer to the Jewish people or the people of God. Remember, this was a symbol in the Old Testament that you belong to God and you read, hey, this is a circumcision made without hand or made by hands and you go, well, I hope it was made by hands because I can't begin to imagine the logistics if there were no hands involved in this, right? But what this means, um, I, I said that earlier and one guy came up to me afterwards, he said, I thought it was hilarious and I was like, yeah, no one else laughed. And he was like, tell it anyway, so I went with it. Um, what he's saying, he says, remember, there was a time that the people of God, they looked at you and said, you're the uncircumcision. 
Here's what that means for us. There was a time where a religious people or people who looked like they had their life together, people who had all their boxes checked, they looked at you and said, you don't belong. Remember the time when they looked at you and said that you aren't good enough, verse 12. Remember then you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that's the people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promises. You had no hope, you were without God in the world. You remember that, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Paul says, I want you to remember. And earlier I said that baptism is like a wedding, right? It's not just for the people getting married this morning. It invites us to respond. It invites us into something. And what Paul says he wants is for us to remember. He wants us to remember. And here's the question. Here's how I want you to remember. Where would you be where, how would your life look different if it weren't for the grace of God moving and working in spaces that you're aware of in ways that you have no idea he's even doing? Remember, you were separated, but now in Christ, those who are far off have been brought near. Look at verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What this is talking about is Jews and Gentiles, there's this wall of hostility. This, when you start pointing fingers at people and saying, hey, here's why I'm better than you. Here's why you don't belong. Here's why you don't measure up. Here's why God doesn't love you. That creates a wall of hostility. And the Bible just said that Jesus shows up in that space and he brings peace to both sides of it and he brings down the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, this is Old Testament law that he might create in himself, again, in Jesus, he's doing something in us, he's creating one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God, brought back into relationship him in one body, how? Through the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, thereby he kills the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those of you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access to God the Father through the Spirit. So then, he says this, you're no longer strangers, aliens, there's no more wall of hostility, you're actually brought into being fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And this household of God, this church is built where? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which is Christ Jesus himself, who is our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is what I meant earlier in verse 10 when it says that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. God's doing something in us. And this is the other thing that it means. Not only are we in Christ, but we are also in the church. In the church. Paul says, like I said, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, that Jesus himself is our peace. And again, what he's talking about is Jews and Gentiles who hated each other being reconciled to each other. Those who were far off and those who were near have been brought and given peace with God, brought into relationship with him and relationship with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible just said. And the point that I wanna make today is that to be in Christ, all the, 20 minutes, all the things I've said of what's true about being positionally in Christ, that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the point that the Bible makes, not me, that the scriptures, the word of God say is that to be in Christ means that you are in his church. Maybe this will help. My wife and I have three kids, uh, two boys, five and three, and then uh, a little girl who's a year and a half, and, and um, I always tell stories about my boys, so this is about her, but when my daughter was born, 
there were some things that were immediately true for her. As soon as she was born, there were some things that became immediately true for her. Firstly was that she's our favorite. Uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Uh, no, 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 I love my boys. Um, there's some things that were immediately true for her, right? The first was that she's our daughter. I mean, I, and you're going, yeah, of course, but that was immediately true for her. She was our daughter, she belongs to us. She, uh, well, you know, we were her parents, right? And she looks like us, she belongs to us. She, there's a bug, like, all in my eye. So as soon as she was born, she is a part of our family, I'm her daddy. And my wife's her mama, right? She, we have this vertical connection, this relationship. She looks like us. She has my wife's beautiful eyes. She has my long flowing hair, right? She is a part of our family. But in the same moment that the vertical relationship between her and her parents was fixed, something else was also true about her. The moment that she came into the world, she wasn't just related to us vertically as her parents. She was also related to her siblings. Like, she, she couldn't possibly be my daughter unless she was also their sister. These two things are inextricably linked, right? She's also horizontally related to her brothers. Her relationship with us and her identity as a daughter has instantly formed for her an identity as a sister and this relationship with her brothers. And this is what Paul's saying in, in Ephesians 2. He's saying that if you're in Christ, you're in the church, you can't be connected to him vertically unless you're connected to the family of faith horizontally. The Bible says he brought some in, where? From near and from far, and he brought them in. And so this is what that means. If you, say, if you were brought in from near, so say you grew up in church, you're at Sunday school every single week, you did, as long as you can remember, you go, I tried to be a good kid, right? You've done the best you can, trying to follow the rules, and, and you never had your heart open to the gospel, but you get to this place of hopelessness that no matter what you do or how hard you try, you're not gonna be good enough. And so you go, I've tried to follow the rules, but I can't do enough, I can't be enough to measure up for God or for my parents or for my friends or for whoever, and God meets you there, and he gives you access to the Father, he says, through his obedience and not yours. So God saves some from near, but some of you, God saves from far away. He didn't save you from your rule following. He saved you from your rule breaking. He met you in your addiction or in your anxiety or wherever that dark alley of your life has brought you in from. Paul says Jesus shows up in those spaces in our lives and he preaches peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And what he does is he makes us not strangers and aliens. He brought down the, the dividing wall of hostility and he made us both one, right? He says that we are members of the household of God. So to be in Christ means that you are a part of his church. These two things are inextricably linked. I need you to see this in one more place. Ephesians 2, the last verse, verse 22. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we just finished a sermon series on the book of Exodus where God shows up to his people, rec rescues them from slavery in Egypt and he brings them out to the wilderness and he asks them to build a tabernacle and he says, I want you to build this because I wanna dwell in your midst, right? And what Ephesians 2 just said is that God's tabernacle, the place where God dwells is not a tent in the desert, it's not a temple in Jerusalem, it is the Christian church all over the world that I'm gonna, I'm gonna build you up, right, in this dwelling place for God by the power of the Spirit. The church is the place where God's presence and power comes into the world today. And when I say church, I don't mean this building, right? It's a, it's a people 
The place of God where his spirit comes into the world today is a people, not a building, right? And this is the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should be walking in. Which means that if we try to approach Christianity as, well, I wanna love Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I need the church. If we live our lives like that, what the Bible says we're living in contradiction to the word of God. Right, and that's not me saying this. The scriptures say this. God hasn't called us to simply love him, but that we would be compelled by his love for us to respond with a love for him and also with a love for the people around us. To be in Christ means that we are in the church, and I heard a pastor say once that a Christian who loves Jesus but doesn't love the church is like a baseball player without a team, right? So say you met a guy, and you do what you always do, and you say, hey man, what do you do? That's just normal, right? What do you do? Because we identify ourselves by our vocation, not by who we are in Jesus, but that's another sermon for another day. So you show up and you say, man, hey, what do you do? And he goes, hey, I'm a baseball player. Like if you ask my five-year-old what he does, he might say he's a baseball player, but that's not weird. But if you ask an adult, hey, what do you do? And he says, I'm a baseball player. You go, he's getting paid for this, right? That's, that's a big deal. So you go, hey man, well, what team do you play for? That's awesome. He goes, oh, I don't have a team. Oh, but I thought you said you were a baseball player. Yeah, yeah, I am, but I don't have a team. And you would walk away going, that guy's weird, and he's just wearing tight pants for no reason. <laughs> you just, he's just got a jersey and tight pants on. I don't understand this. The point is that God's plan for your life is to be connected to a local church body. To be in Christ means that you are in the church. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are the workmanship or the poem of God, that God is creating something in us, that he's writing something in and through us. It doesn't say you are the poem of God, it says that we are the poem or the workmanship of God, right? This means that on your own, you're one letter or one word, but together, God is doing something in us to compel the rest of the world to see what is different about them. Why can they live their life not trying to prove themselves and all the while they get invited into the faith and they see that we are set free from the law of sin and death and set free by the law of the spirit of life to not pretend and say, yeah, yeah, that's who I was. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved me, he made me alive. This is the profession that the folks getting baptized are making here today. They're gonna say, I'm in. And that's what they mean. They're saying, I'm in Christ, not because of what I did. In fact, I'm in Christ despite that, but yet God has welcomed me in because by grace I have been saved. They're saying, I'm in, and they're saying, I'm in the church. In fact, for hundreds of years, historically, the entry point into the local church were the baptismal waters. Because what you're saying is, I'm breaking away from trying to be my own God and trying to find my own way, and I'm going with him, I'm in. To be in Christ is to be in the church, right? And so like a wedding, seeing this should do something in us. It should stir a response in us. When we see someone get in the water and go, man, I'm in. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but I am found. When someone does that, it stirs something in us. And here's how I wanna kinda just move us to that time. Just wanna ask you a couple questions. Are you in? Are you in Christ? Are you in him? Have you trusted that what the Bible says is true about him is actually true? Because let me just tell you, if not, and you, you probably won't believe me, but if you're not, the, the life that you are looking for is only found in him. It can't be found in, a, in the, promote, the next promotion that you're seek, seeking after, the next upgraded house or, or relationship or thing or person. No, it, it can't be found except for in him. Are you in him? 
And I know the, the natural response to that is, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, but what about all the blank I'm done? What about all the things I've done? I don't deserve it. And we go, I know. By grace, you have been saved, right? All you're saying when you go, yeah, but, is you're saying, but I'm dead in my sin. He goes, yeah, but I made you alive together in Christ. This is who we are in Christ. If you feel stuck in that, let us help you. Man, we wanna help you. Like, fill out a connect card, come find me after, whatever. We would love to walk with you through this. Are you in Christ? If you are, like Paul says, remember, when they get in the waters and they go under, they say, man, I am in. I matter to God, not because of what I do, but because of what Christ has done for me. You go, that's my story too. You remember Where would you be if it weren't for the grace of God in your life and moving and working in spaces that you have no idea? Where would you be if it weren't for the grace of God? Are you in Christ? And then quite simply, are you in the church? Do you see being connected to Jesus as this instant, inextricable link to being connected to the family of faith? Church, friends, is not a place you go. It's a people you belong to. Are you in? Let me pray for us and then we're gonna celebrate with these friends, Father, thank you for your kindness to us, your mercy to us, that we are in. You invited us in, not because we deserve it or because we ever will, but because of Christ, because of who he is and what he's done for us. We're thankful just for a a few moments to remember For those of us in Christ, again, it doesn't make us better. In fact, it just makes us willing to admit that we're worse. But you love us. Help us to remember and see the kindness you've extended to us in our lives. For those who are not in Christ, God, I pray for a movement of your spirit. That's what it takes. All of this is from God, the Bible says, who through Christ reconciles us to himself. So would you, by the power of your spirit, stir in people's hearts right now in this moment that they, the life that they want is only found in Jesus. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.